Welcome to the Goodness Podcast, the Middle East first platform dedicated to tackling women's health in a real and honest way. I'm your host, Noor Tahini. My guest on the podcast today is Ala Balkhi, a Saudi creative director working at the intersection of fashion, design, and culture. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm glad that we found time to do this. I, I am too, honestly. This is great. What I found really interesting about you is that you're very attached to your culture and your Arab identity. And that comes through in the fashion and design work that you do. It comes through in the podcast that you launched, which we'll talk about later. So there's an eagerness to celebrate and remain attached to this culture. Mm-hmm. And yet you spent the first nine years of your life in Canada. And now you've been living in New York. So it's been sort of your home base for how long now? Um, eight years. For eight years. Where do you think that that attachment comes from? Is it something that your parents sort of emphasized when you were growing up in Montreal because they didn't want you to feel disconnected from it? Where does it come from, this love of Arab culture? When I was in design school, and this is something very important, there weren't a lot of Arab instructors. This Um, was in Saudi, the design school? This was in Saudi. So this was 2006. And I understand the the college and the curriculum and, and the major was still new in the country. So my class was the sixth graduation class of graphic design in Jeddah. We're talking a city of four million. Mm. So so I understand that notion that we're still starting this industry, this creative industry. Graphic designers are graduating. Some of them went to get their uh, master's so they can teach, Mm. so they can come back to the college and teach. And I felt like as a design student, yes, I was studying design, but culture and design go hand in hand. So especially graphic design, when you're designing things that are bilingual, who can understand this? Why were we taught American curriculums? I get that sometimes... You know, you have to learn from different cultures, but everything was so Western. Mm. And that took away from my design experience. And I'm I'm glad that there were um, two amazing Lebanese instructors. And only that, that was only because in Lebanon, they already had that going on, whether it's AUB or LAU, they had a graphic design program. Um, and it there was an industry. So that I was grateful for, and I found myself loving these two classes that I could explain my idea, whether there's like, whether it's backed up by culture or language, um, they got it. And that was so important for me. So what was most important for you was using design to explore and understand your own identity better? Yeah. So so as, as a design student, the examples that I was seeing why are we learning graphic design like we're learning it in the West by Western instructors for us to apply it here? Mm. I want to see homegrown brands. I want to see Saudi brands, whether they're in Arabic or in English. It's nice for them to be bilingual. Um, it's nice for them to have an element of culture and to adapt to the region instead of just like taking something from, from the, the West, West and just as it is without mm. adaptation, just like this is it. Yeah. How is the industry going to grow? And what what brought you to New York? Um, I wanted to leave. Saudi. I wanted to leave Saudi. Why? 
So we're talking 2011, which is nine years ago, is not the Saudi of today. It's not the Saudi of today. So for me, I thought, you know, I'm never going to get this opportunity. I got a scholarship from the government um, that I just applied for and I got it. And I'm like, when am I ever going to be able to go to New York City? And I just went. You went to study to do a master's? Yes. Yeah, so I went, um, I did my master's in design management. Um, it, it's like the strategy business side of design industries. I would say I was much more braver back then because I had nothing to lose, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. How old were you when you left? Uh, I was 21, 21 and a half, 22. Did you find that when you moved to New York, you became more attached to your Arab identity? I I always say I fell in love with Jeddah more after I left it. Um, it's the idea of longing and it's the idea of wanting something that's not attainable at that moment. So you try to create it. And if we move to another city, I will never miss New York the way I miss Jeddah. So Jeddah is your like real... Yeah, it, that's a, it's a place where you have a real connection to. I think it's the place where I I kind of found myself, found a part of myself that was really important at that time. Yeah. I remember when I moved to London, I think in an, in an attempt to, when I, I left here in 2006, just after I finished high school, because I grew up in the UAE, I moved to London and I remember this very active attempt to stay somehow in touch with the Arab world and the Middle East. And I missed it so much. Like I missed the warmth of the people. I missed the food, the culture. And so I, like, I became the kind of person who you open her freezer in London. It was like stacked three levels high of Naish Zatar, you know, or I would listen to, to specific uh, music and watch movies. And I, I had never been, I don't think I'd, I've ever been as connected to my, identity as a Middle Eastern woman as I did in London, which is kind of ironic. It, it, it is. I feel maybe it's this, um, it's when you're far away from it, you realize its value. Hmm. That's true. And your husband is Saudi. My husband is um, Saudi by passport, Yemeni by blood, American by birth. Wow. And how, <laughs> how Arab is he in his like He's, culture and way of doing things? Um so in Virginia, he grew up in um, a community of his family members, a lot of them, mashallah. Um, so he grew up in a Yemeni community mm. and not an Arab American community. So his he switches. So when we go to Virginia and he's at his parents' house, he's Yemeni. Um, but like with his friends and at work, he's, you know, the, the guy from William and Mary in Virginia, president of his fraternity, plays lacrosse. Yeah. Sammy. Um, that's the version of it, which I, I hate. Sam, Sammy is his American name. Uh, what's, yeah. his, what's his actual name? Asam. As, oh, yeah. Asam. Yeah. 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 Sammy. Yeah, that's, a, that's a way to say it in the US. Yeah. Um, the first brand that you started, Fionca. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. When was that? Um, 10. We're going to be 10 in a few months. Um, 10 years old. Wow. Yeah, yes. 2020, 2010. It's, it was 2011. 2011. Yeah. 
What was the sort of driving desire behind that brand? Um, so it, I think I was always fascinated by cartoons um, or illustration and animation and just characters. And I loved Sailor Moon growing up. Like, mm. I loved Sailor Moon. And the first time I drew a character, it was because I never saw people around me represent like in the TV. Mm. So the characters that I drew were variations of Saudi women that I've, I've seen around me. I don't know. I always wanted to like show women um, in a fun way. I wanted to create a brand that Saudi women can relate to. What does it feel like when you go back to Saudi these days? Like how <sighs> I've never been to Saudi, but It's I can only magic. imagine. It's the thing is I've been going back and forth Um, for the past eight years, every, you know, two months, three months, and I've seen the changes gradually. I'm so excited for this generation. I feel like they can be whatever they want to be, mm. whether it's like a singer, an actress, a performer, you know, um, an astronaut, a marine biologist. Those were not options for me growing up. And I feel like this is like a period piece of like, you know, back in the day. But the changes in the past three years are equivalent of 10 years of changes by how mm. fast they were. It was so fast. So it was like, for us, we're just like, whoa, you know, I can do this now. We can do this now. And we're, it's just an acceleration of adaptation of like, okay, okay, next, next is cool, cool, cool. Mm. I really want to see it. I really want to, I've never seen, I've, I've never been to Saudi, so I don't know what it was like, but I've obviously only heard stories and accounts from people about what it was like growing up in Saudi, especially as a woman. Do you identify as a Saudi woman? Yes. Whatever that means. That's the thing when we get these questions as Saudi women, they're like, how does it feel to be a Saudi woman? I'm like, you need to be more specific because yeah. that's such a general, like, how does it feel today, yesterday, you know, and in what way? Um, these questions are very odd. We, I think it's because for the longest time, people didn't know about us. We were just like, you know, in our bubbles, you know, private, our private lives. And all of a sudden we're like the talk of the town. It's like, whoa, did you see the Saudi woman? When, yeah, we're like, yeah. hey, we've always been here. Hi, <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah, I think it's just, as you said, it's like all of a sudden the world was like, oh, yeah. look at all this talent. And Is this what Saudi looks like? I remember the photos that came out of the festival that they did in um, Al-Ala. Al yeah. I, I, everyone's mind was blown. I remember we're like, this is Saudi. And then they had like the Shipriani open air and the, it was beautiful. It was amazing. Al-Ala was, was wonderful. It was my first time there. And actually Assam joined me and he was just, it was so, it was magical. Al-Ala is so beautiful and I think it's just we never gave Saudi a chance yeah and now we are yeah and so you've recently launched a podcast and sort of cultural brand if we can call it that called Minana yes. how do you say it Minana 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 Minnakum is the podcast okay Minana is like the overall brand. brand yeah what was the idea behind it So I've noticed um, that I've always, like I've joined Twitter when Twitter first started. And then like, I've, I've always seen these things joining and I'm always jumping from like 
a platform to a platform since 2011. Um, and then the podcast thing was happening. But every podcast that I was on, the host was a man, whether it's in Arabic or in English. And I was like, we need to, we need to tell our own narratives. We need to tell them in a language that we can relate to. We being Arab women? Yes. Okay. Arab women. I want to, I want it to be more focused on Arab women, whoever needs the space to tell their story. Mm-hmm. It changes the meaning sometimes. Sometimes the meanings are stronger in a certain language because that's that's how you think. It's so specific. Mm. Like even the word love in Arabic, there's so many meanings of love. Like so many different ways to say it. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. So it was important for you that the podcast be in Arabic. Yes. I think some conversations are very important to be in Arabic because yes, we can talk about mental health. We can talk about shame. We can talk about, um, you know, failure. But we're so used to hearing them in English from a Western audience. So I wanted to hear them from people that speak like me. Yeah. Interviewing so many women, what is the the lesson that you took and that you walk away with? That we all just want to do things that make us happy. Honestly, that like, I think we just want to do us. We're going through the same experiences. It's interesting because like there's what, 22 Arab countries? Yes. I think. And they're actually so diverse. And I've often heard the um, criticism that it's very hard to group the Arab world yeah. as one and to say, you know, Arab women or Arabs or yeah. because at the end of the day, what unites us most is a language yeah. which has which varies so much from country to country. Mm-hmm. But I always found that there's a little bit more than just the language that unites us. There's a, a warmth and a, and a hospitality and a cultural heritage mm-hmm. that we actually share. Yeah. Which I was thought was so interesting because you wherever you are in the world, you connect with Arab people, mm-hmm. even if you are from different countries. Yeah. I want to ask you about the concept of Aib. As an Arab woman, sometimes you're told that you can and can't do certain things as a married woman. Mm-hmm. Was that what was the concept of Aib something that was very prominent in your life? Have you is it something that you've tried to break away from? I think Aib is always associated with what would people say. Yeah. Like Aib is nas. Um Aib is never about something that you do in private because there's so then what is attached to Aib mm. is shame. So that was the whole concept. Like literally this, like, why am I shamed for this? Because of what people would say. So that's shame. Yeah. That is the feeling of guilt. That is not valid. So for me, I was just like, what does this mean? Why is this aib? And there's a whole conversation about aib versus haram. And like sometimes people use aib as like a heavier thing. And I broke all the aib rules in so many ways. When you were living in Saudi? When I was living in Saudi, when I was living in uh, New York. Give us a, give us some anecdotes. I, I moved in with my husband after our katbiktab, after our milka. Is that not something it's that's a, done? It's a faux pas. You, <laughs> you move in after your white dress wedding. In a religious perspective, it was super halal. But from a cultural perspective, it was aib. 
Do you ever think about moving back to Saudi? Every day. Every day? Not every, every week. Every week. Um, it's There's so much more opportunity for me. Yeah. Um, New York adds value so much, especially in my industry and what I do. Um, but there's always, it's harder when you have options. It's a privilege, but it's also hard. So what's coming next with uh, Minnana? So we are working on a print publication. That's awesome. Um, I'm excited about that. And and a few other things that go under under the Minnana umbrella, I would say. Uh, we're working on season two of the podcast. I'm, I'm in like this constant, like coming up with different things and different ideas that I want to, I want to do. Like that's how my mind works, but I need to be like strategic about what to, what to do now, mm. what to keep for later. Um, I think the hard way I realize that I can't do everything. How would you describe your personal brand? This is such a tricky question because I should know this, but it's constantly changing. Mm. I would have told you like before COVID, this was my personal brand, but like after COVID, so much has changed. Yeah. Because you had the time to look within and be like, do I really want to do this? Did I just want to impress people? What was I doing? So what did you drop and what are you adding I think I dropped just unnecessary, just wanted to fit in gatherings mm. or didn't want to miss out. FOMO. FOMO. There was there was no FOMO. It was the first time in my life, the past eight years, that I had no FOMO because everyone was experiencing this collectively, globally. So I wasn't missing out on the amazing events my friends were having in Jeddah because they weren't having them. Mm. So I felt like, huh. This is nice. Yeah. I think we all love not having any FOMO. And like you're saying, there's a lot of time spent looking inwards. So much time. And just, it was so hard because we are so used to running away. If I don't want to deal with it, if I don't want to deal with something internally, then I'm always finding things to keep me busy, whether it's an event, whether it's a trip, whether... And for me, it was always like, if I wasn't happy in New York, I'm going to go to Jeddah. And if I'm not happy in Jeddah, I have an escape. And for the first time in in like the past eight years, there was no escape. Like mm. everything was happening in the US and there was no flight back home. So I couldn't run away. I literally couldn't run away. I had to deal with all my anxieties, being in the U.S., feeling different, not fitting in, not not being in a perfect box that people, you know, I don't fit into like the boxes that people think I should fit in. As Saudi, I'm Western, but I'm Saudi, but I'm not American enough. Mm. Um, I am, I'm like a Muslim, but I'm not visibly Muslim. So it's like, this is not what we imagined a Muslim girl to look like or a Saudi girl to look like. And now the conversation is changing a lot mm. and very, very rapidly, I think, with everything that's been going on. What you're describing is something that's felt by a lot of third culture kids, right? Yes. And I feel as Saudis, we, we're just getting new to this third culture thing because... 
um, not a lot of Saudis immigrate. So we don't have a Saudi community or diaspora in like certain places. My friends that, my Saudi friends that were there, they graduated and they went back. Mm. And it's, it's heartbreaking mm. when you meet people, like have a bond, you meet amazing people. And yes, you have this amazing relationship, but they leave. No one stays. Mm, I felt that when I was living in London. Um, and it's hard because I think why I love Jeddah is because people come back. People stay, people leave, people come back. Yeah. And that's my comfort, knowing that people will be back. When you're in New York, do you always feel like you're there until you go back? Like, is there that feeling? <sighs> I... <laughs> I think with my parents, because my dad went to school in Montreal, he went to McGill, they knew that it was an amount of time, whether, you know, it was five years or 10 years. Every doctor that is in Saudi that studied abroad or did their specialty, that happened to their family, whether they're doctors or diplomats, like you always, you know, you're there for a job and then you go back. And for me, I just feel because his anchor over there is there and my anchor is kind of like my anchor is just like longer, but it's still in Jeddah, mm. but it's just like longer. So I'm just between, like I'm stretched between both. How old are you? 31. 31. I'm sure everyone tells you this, but you look way younger than I know. 31. I love it. It's amazing. It's good and it's bad. Sometimes people don't take me seriously because I look younger, but then I... Imagine how, like, I'm just going to look younger when I'm like 40 and 50. I think it's the curly hair. Which is only a good thing. So there's this, there's this theme between sort of your very late 20s, early to mid 30s about, uh, I mean, my friends were into astrology, call it Saturn's return, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it, essentially, it's the, the, the sort of window in your life where you start to become aware of who you are as a person, mm-hmm. um, aware of yourself sort of in isolation from the pack around you. Mm-hmm. Whereas up to that point, you were very much, you know, like in the flow with your friends. There was almost this like oneness to your identities. Mm-hmm. And then you 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 get your late 20s, early 30s, and you're, you as an individual starts to stand out more in your own mind. And you mm-hmm. start to ask questions like, who am I? Or if, you know, if you're told just be yourself, who is that? Like, what would it look like if I were just entirely and honestly myself? It's, it's scary to think about that because I don't think I'm still there. And sometimes people are so afraid of like finding themselves. It's, I've been going to therapy for the past year and a half and it's a a long, hard, painful uncomfortable process it's um and it's it's scary but it's part of it because I always thought like you know this is me but it wasn't I was just adapting to things around me I was trying to survive Hmm. and now it's um and fit in you were saying before survive and fit in from when I was in Montreal I was an, an Arab girl in Montreal that you know we had it it was I knew that I wasn't like the other kids. So you've essentially always been an outsider. You were an Arab in Montreal, uh, not Arab enough in Saudi. And now you're... um, I was was an Arab in Montreal. I was uh, 
a, a Canadian girl, but I'm not Canadian. A Canadian girl in Saudi, like all bint al Canadia, or like the cool girl that speaks French. And and now I'm, you know, a girl in Saudi. A, a Saudi girl. In a New Saudi York. girl in New York. And when I'm in Saudi, I'm the girl from New York. So, but at the end of the day, I'm just me. And this just happens to be like, you know, the complexity of being me. And it, it does affect me and my personality and, and everything I do, like my work, my growth, all of that. Do you feel like that sort of tension in your identity is what allows you to to, to create platforms and brands like the ones you have? I think with with my brands, they always end up being like a cultural connector. Um, and even even with the podcast, even it being in Arabic, that's one part of like, uh, that's one dialect, part of one culture that so many other people can listen and be like, oh my God, I've experienced this, but I'm not from this culture. So we relate. So that was like in the podcast and in my work, it's a conversation starter, like my illustrations. Um, it was always like when I wore the bags in New York, it was like, oh, what is that? And I started to explain, you know, so it was always about taking those elements and creating something that, you know, resonates with me mm-hmm. and something that I love doing. And that brings me joy. And I feel like that's what your work should be about. Yeah. I agree. What kind of therapy are you in? I ask because like I'm I I I've also been in therapy for a few years but I've been I've actually looked deep into the different types of therapy and and um I I like to talk about therapists. Like people like to talk about sports teams. Yeah. Um I I don't know saraha meaning what kind of therapy how do you like are you doing like a CBT cognitive behavioral therapy are you doing um more like interpersonal therapy. Hmm. I have no idea. Be like, it's working for you. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Therapy is, I think, so essential for so many of us. It's such an important thing. Um, And it needs to be more accessible. It needs to be, you know, um, something that is normal, something that is is not, you know, a taboo, mm. which it has been. Yeah, it's definitely becoming more acceptable. Do you think you'll have children? Inshallah. Okay, so it's in the plans, basically. Um, yeah, it's it's just this world now I know. is crazy. Uh, I think we all realize that nothing goes exactly to plan. We all had plans gone yeah and now we're afraid of making plans because we're afraid of like them I'm actually scared of planning more than a week ahead it's just like you get the excitement and then but then you realize that the world doesn't end yeah even when we thought the world was ending the world adapted we adapted three-year-olds adapted they're wearing masks you humans adapt yeah yeah that's true do you and your husband ever talk about where you'd raise your children in the U.S. or in Saudi? So we we talk about the fact that for the first six years of their lives, they can be anywhere. Okay. Um, and then they have to be in one place. But you haven't decided where that no. is. 
it's interesting because for someone like you who has um in one way or another like struggled to to figure out her identity because of all this movement around the world it's going to be such a big decision for your children will um, they be saudi kids or will they be american kids i want them to be all the things that we both are and to identify with each one of them yeah they would be new yorkers american yemeni hajazi saudi like Yeah. They would be all of all of these, and they'll spend the, the the rest of their lives trying to like make sense of where where they're from and who I they are. I think by then that is going to be normal. Yeah, I think, um, I think we never, not we never, but I think now being based between two cities is more normal than you know twenty years ago. Mm. It was it was like a less, um, a less less amount of people mm-hmm. did that. And now it's just so global that, yeah. you know, people move around. It's so much easier to travel. Yeah. People travel like on the go, like obviously on the go. People travel like last minute. It was a planned thing when we yeah. were kids. Yeah, that's true. But it, it does beg the question, like if if you can be anywhere in the world that you want to be and you can have a part of your identity be almost anything, right? Because like I can move now to... to Or I can have kids in, in Scandinavia and my children will have Scandinavia as a, or, or Norway or whatever country in Scandinavia it is, will have that as a part of, an, of their identity. Yeah. And I, want, I wonder for how long will we continue to associate with the identity of our parents and our grandparents if our lives and our children and our grandchildren's lives, like if, if they grow up in other countries and they, they are... Um, raised with other cultures how how much longer does this concept of you know one identity one place that you come from matter but we weren't one identity we're like different identities that got into one passports happened and that was our identity yeah cultures happened because different people did different things and civilizations and all of that but i do think identities are passed down like whether it's uh food, language, music, dance, it yeah. is passed down and that's part of you. So maybe you have, you have fifth generation Arabs that are living in America and, and some of them, you know, are so in, inversed in the culture and some of them are not. It really depends on like the upbringing yeah. and all of that. Yeah, you're right. I think that uh, my parents and I'm sure your parents made an, an, an extra effort, you know, when we were growing up outside of our countries to make sure that we still had some sort of connection to our culture and heritage. And I think without that, then that's where you start to lose the string of belonging to yeah. the country of your uh, ancestors. Yeah. I'm, I'm Lebanese, for example. My parents are Lebanese. I've never lived in Lebanon, ever. I wasn't born there. I never spent more than like a month there at a time. And yet, if you ask me where I'm from, even though I have a British passport, I don't even have a Lebanese passport. I say I'm Lebanese. And the only thing that, that ties me to there is like an emotional attachment. The fact that my parents grew up there and the fact that we were raised, you know, Lebanese food, Lebanese um, uh, hospitality, Lebanese culture. But, but like, how long is that enough to keep you attached to the country of your, of your ancestors? So the passport is just a passport. It's, you know, you can have a passport and have nothing to do with the culture of, a, of the country of the passport you're holding. And when you said like, You just said um, your parents made the extra effort to to install that in, yeah. into you. But I do feel like they were just being themselves and that was part of them. 
And this was what they did, whether it's food, um, TV, you know, the the dinners, uh, dancing, music, like all of that, you you see it and you watch it because they they saw it and they watched it. Yeah. Can you make the dishes that your mom made for you growing up? Yes. That's amazing because um, like it's something that I try to make sure that like I can make a basic lubiuris and Spanish what is because I, I, I want that to be passed on. It's so important um, because first of all, when you live abroad, you crave it. And you, I think my mom knows how to cook because she lived abroad. Because she had to learn how to she recreate those dishes. She had to learn dishes. how to, to cook. Yeah. And I had to do the same because I could eat any of the other foods of other cuisines. But when it comes to food from your own cuisine, it's not the same because you're always going to compare it with home. I think for me, when I, when I, we kind of touched on this before, but when I realized how important my Arabic identity was to me or my culture was, as you said, when I went to, when I went to, when I moved to the West, I say the West, like it's this other planet. But when I went to London for university and that's when all of a sudden it became so obvious that, you know, I was different in a way. And all my friends there ended up being Lebanese, Saudi, um, Palestinian, and actually a lot of Jordanian friends as well. And when I moved to, I went to a French school. So when I moved to London, I wasn't actually so strong in Arabic. You no, know, we took Arabic in school, but it was like fasha. Mm-hmm. And at home we spoke French and we spoke English and a few words of Arabic here and there. And from hanging out with my Arabic friends day in and day out at uni. So again, Saudi, Palestinians, Jordanians, Lebanese. I developed this disastrous accent. I think that's so funny because the way we speak at home is I would speak in my accent, Hijrasi accent, he would speak in a Sana'ani accent from Sana'a. Um, but we, we, we each speak our own accents, but we understand the other person. Yeah. So no one tries to change to, their own to accent. To change their accent. And uh, people always say kids adapt. They learn accents as languages. So they will use it with the parents. So if someone is, you know, their parents are Saudi Egyptian, they would speak Egyptian to the Egyptian parent, Saudi to the Saudi parent as, as languages. Amazing. Um, but I think so. I think it's important for us to understand and constantly try to learn other dialects or other words just so we try and not make it seem like it's hard or impossible Mm. and just make an effort because I would love to understand my you know my North African friends accents and I'm I'm trying and I'm I ask questions like what does this mean what does this mean just so when they say like a simple you know sentence I can understand it yeah and not make them to feel like this is not the right accent because I don't understand that like that's on me and it's the same when um I guess it's the same when someone doesn't understand my my Saudi so I would instead of using their accent I would tell them what this and this and this means yeah so, so explaining so they can learn yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah I think it's it's wonderful if we understand each other but like use our own accent yeah a global like understanding of accents so just to wrap things up, when can we expect the magazine to launch? Ah, oh, you know how print is. 
Actually, I don't. I've always been in digital. Oh my God. Um, hopefully in a season or two. So hopefully winter, spring. And it's going to be, is it going to be a fashion and lifestyle magazine? Is it going to be an arts and culture magazine? I think design and culture. Design and culture. Fashion is always included in culture, yes. I feel. Is it going to be bilingual? Yes. So we want to use, so if we're interviewing someone, whatever language they language they choose, we want to keep it authentic and not translated because a lot of things, you know, get lost in translation, literally. So you might have like a couple of pages in Arabic, a couple of pages in English, which is so true to the way that we speak and we are, right? It is. And yeah. I want people to flip and like find find what they, what they want mm. and feel close to it. We don't have a lot of publications like design or independent publications in the region. We don't have enough. We have some, we need more. Mm. There's space. And I think it's important. It's going to be produced in New York, published in New York, or I'm, you... I'm trying to get it published in Saudi. I in think. Saudi. Is that does that limit any of the topics you can discuss, or is there no? Because I think in the UAE there's um, National Media Council, which keeps a pretty um, close eye on publications and what yeah. they talk about. No, I'm gonna try and, and keep it, you know, f- fair to everyone. I don't, I don't want to like do something completely crazy. I just want it to be authentic. Good luck. I can't wait Thank to see you. it. I'm excited. That was really nice talking to you, you today. Too. Thank, Thank you too. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening today. If you're not familiar with goodness, head to www.goodness.me to access the online platform and articles and follow us at goodness on Instagram. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and share it. And we'll see you next week.